It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, we will cover the rules voted on and approved by NFL clubs on Thursday, May 28th, and the letter that Commissioner Goodell issued to clubs today about coaches likely being able to return to facilities next week if they can get arrangements done with various states. Then we will get into our weekly mailbag, James, my favorite time of the week, Uh, besides eating Bilt Bars, of course, which is your favorite time of the week. My favorite time of the week, Bilt Bar is pretty high on the list. Mailbag right there, too. Yeah, my favorite time of the day is Bilt Bars. Next to talking to you, of course, Jake. The The second thing, though, is probably uh, the mailbag. I love the mailbag. I love talking to our listeners and answering their questions. It's it's fun. So I'm, I missed last week, by the way. So I'm excited to be back and excited to uh, answer your guys' questions. Yeah, I'm sorry you guys only had to deal with my answers. I know that they are inferior answers. We will must have been rough. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Mike, man, having to come talk to me. So we'll get into your questions in part two and three of the show. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, as is every show of the Lockdown Bengals podcast right now. You can save $10 on your first order of Built Bars right now at BuiltBar.com using promo code LOCKEDON. James, let's talk about some administrative work completed by the league and some rule changes. James, let's start with the playing rules changes. There are three of them. The first one was proposed by the Philadelphia Eagles to make permanent the expansion of automatic replay review to include scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul and any successful or unsuccessful point after touchdown And honestly, James, I didn't know this wasn't already permanent. I thought this was just a feature of the replay rule. Nothing changes here. This is a good rule, and it's a wise move to make it permanent. It absolutely is, and I'm with you. When I saw that, I was like, wait, this isn't permanent? This isn't the rule? And I I guess it was, and I guess it was still in the experimental phases, Um, but it it was certainly a benefit to the NFL product of, of getting it right. It hasn't taken a lot of time. Most touchdowns and turnovers are obvious anyways, but having that extra cushion or extra buffer is important. So I, I like it and I'm glad they're keeping it around long-term. This is one that makes a lot of sense. Unlike the pass interference rule, which will not continue to be reviewed in the 2020 season, this will remain as automatic reviews, which saves coaches challenges Because imagine, I mean, you go back to before this was an automatic review. Coaches would have to challenge these plays or they would have to think, oh, do I have to save my challenge for a turnover that the refs are going to screw up? Well, no, you don't and you won't. Second rule that changes, 
the next two rules actually competition committee suggestions defenseless player protection has been expanded to include kickoff and punt returners in possession of the ball without having had the time to avoid or ward off the impending contact of an opponent i imagine this one is going to be a little controversial my humble opinion on this topic, James, is if a player doesn't call a fair catch on a punt and there is a defensive player coming down on him full speed, he deserves to be blown up. Now, does he deserve to be injured? No. But can we trust officials to call this correctly? They'll see a guy get hit really hard and maybe it'll be at the top of his chest and they'll, they'll say, oh, that's a neck area. That's a 15-yard penalty. That negates the fumble that that punt returner made a poor choice about and coughs up the ball. Instead of a fumble, it's, it's a 15-yard personal foul. This is one of those rules that sounds great on paper. We're protecting the ball carrier who's fielding a punt 50 yards downfield and has multiple players running full speed at him. It sounds great, but you're right. The execution is key here. Will officials be able to de- determine the difference between a high hit in the chest area versus a neck hit, versus a helmet-to-helmet hit, they need to be able to because if you're trying to tackle a Tyreek Hill or some of these dynamic returners, you're going to have to do it any way you can. And as long as it's not a devastating blow to the head or an illegal blow to the head, then it shouldn't be flagged, You know, or if it's the, the neck area or half-helmet area. So I think, uh, I think it sounds good on paper, but some of these things sound good and they're much harder to execute in practice. Uh, and call and get right in the middle of a game. And so I think that that's that's a concern here. Yeah, just like the rest of the defenseless player protections in the NFL, this really comes down to the way it's officiated. On paper, you're right, it makes a lot of sense. A defenseless player is protected from being hit forcibly in the head or neck area from contact made with the crown or hairline parts of the helmet against any part of the body and against launching into the player. That last one, I think, is a concerning one if officials call it that way on punt returns because a lot of the times with these guys that are so dynamic, they take one step and you're going to miss them if you try to break down and wrap up, especially if you're running full speed. That's the clause that we'll have to watch how the officials handle it. The last rule change for in-games is preventing teams from manipulating the game clock by committing multiple dead ball fouls while the clock is running. This is something that the Tennessee Titans took advantage of. Makes a lot of sense to change this one. Not too much to say about it. Good for Matt Vrabel and the Titans for taking advantage of it while they could against the New England Patriots. And the last rule change, James, is probably my favorite change out of all of these. Three players instead of two are allowed to be returned from the IR list. I love it. I love it. And you you look at the Bengals last year, they used both of their slots uh, on Darius Phillips and John Ross. So giving NFL teams another slot, I think it makes a ton of sense. So I'm glad the NFL made the change. Yeah, I feel like for the Bengals, actually, in the last like three years, this would have made a big difference for them down the stretch when they were faced with decisions they had to make about who they were going to bring back, who they weren't. It led to, you know, William Jackson, his rookie year, spending the rest of the year on the IR when he could have come back. It seems like every year the Bengals would have really benefited from one more player to bring back. And maybe, James, if we can talk to the strength and conditioning coaches and just get them on the built bar train. This won't be such an issue this year because we've got to get a healthy season for these guys. Nutrition, obviously a big part of that. 
and we can get our listeners $10 off of Built Bars right now. And I know it's your favorite protein bar. So many things going for this protein bar, James. We got to get Jonah Williams on the Built Bar plan and the rest of these guys, John Ross, anyone that, that's dealt or recovered from injury, AJ Green, have a Built Bar today. Jake, I had the vanilla chocolate cream, 110 calories, 15 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar. It's perfect as you're working on that summer bod to fit your macros and put yourself in a position to look good on vacation in a couple of months. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and look good this summer. Yeah, that promo code will get you $10 off. And for just a couple more days here for the rest of the Memorial Day week, you get $5 off every order of Built Bar. So now is the time to save that money and try out a new protein bar. Coming up next, the Weekend Mailbag. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. James, before we dive into the mailbag, I forgot to tell the people about the Commissioner Goodell letter that went out to NFL teams today. So I will just quickly summarize this for everyone. Teams are allowed to reopen ticket offices, retail shops, and customer-facing facilities on Monday. And they expect that clubs sometime next week will be allowed to include members of the coaching staff among employees permitted to resume work in the club facility. This is pending some work with governors and other state authorities that have not yet announced definitive plans. So they have not announced a date yet for this. There's some work to be done, but steps in that direction we talked about yesterday toward a potential for mini camps to happen in mid to late June. Finally, Goodell notes that they are continuing to work with the NFLPA on protocols that will allow at least some players to return to team facilities on a limited basis. So things continuing to move in the right direction. The NFL continues to march forward boldly in the face of the pandemic and kind of say, it's not going to bother us. We're going to, we're going to find ways to do our work safely. James, with that out of the way, let's get into the mailbag. What's in there today. Let's get to the mailbag and let's start with the question specifically for you, Jake. Max Alfonso asks on Twitter, what will it take for Jake to put some respect on Sam Hubbard's name? Sam Hubbard is a fine football player. He had games that were good. He had games that were pretty bad. And I think for a third round pick, he's pretty damn good. Do I think he can be one of the best defensive ends, the best edge players in the league? I think that would be really surprising. And if that's not putting respect on Sam Hubbard's name, then I guess I won't until he proves me wrong. And I would love for him to prove me wrong. But the thing is, while he had nine sacks last year, six sacks his rookie year, and leads people drafted in 2018 in sacks in those two years, sacks aren't everything. And a lot of his sacks are of the hustle and cleanup variety, which is important. I'd rather have a guy that makes those plays than a guy that doesn't have those plays. But he's not as good as Carlos Dunlap. He's not as good of a, of a pass rusher as Carl Lawson is right now, in my opinion. 
Is he a good player? Yeah, he's a good player. He's a fine starter in the NFL. I feel like that is respect to put on a third round pick's name. But if you want me to say he's going to be an all-star, then I, I, I will not meet that definition of respect. I Yeah, I think there's a difference between having realistic expectations and just looking at the numbers and having unrealistic expectations. And so if you would have told me Sam Hubbard's going to have 15 sacks his first two years, feel great about that. I think he's a really good player. You hope he's around uh, Paul Brown Stadium for a long time, for a second contract, maybe a third contract. But it, it doesn't seem like he's a, a 12, 13, 14 sack guy per year. It just it doesn't seem like he's that guy, which is fine. And I don't think that's a slight. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you there. As, as far as Carl Lawson, he's got a lot to prove this year, too. Yeah, he absolutely does. I'm just saying from a skill perspective, if Carl Lawson is sure. healthy, he's a better pure pass rusher than Sam Hubbard is. And a lot of the hype around Sam Hubbard is he's going to be a double-digit sack guy. Look at his trend. He went from six to nine. He went from 29 pressures to 49 pressures, which is good. Like he, he's progressing, right? But he also played 350 more snaps. So his pressure rate is is pretty similar. I, I just, he, he still has some work to do, right? You love his hustle. You love his leadership. You love his character. But if you're looking for Sam Hubbard to emerge as an elite edge player in the NFL, I think that's not fair to Sam Hubbard. And I think that I'm going to turn this on you and say, that's not very respectful, you know? That, that's, that's where I'm taking this, but that, that's it. That's the conversation. Our next question comes from Duder The, a frequent question, question asker for the Lockdown Bengals mailbag. Rocky Mountain Who Day. Who would you rather see go off this season? Billy Price, John Ross, William Jackson the third. James, you can only pick one. This is tough. This is tough for me. <laughs> because for me. You, you, I, I want to look at it objectively, right? And so what, what's the Bengals – Biggest weakness, it's offensive line. So you'd love for them to have a star interior lineman emerge, their first-round pick in Billy Price. It just doesn't seem realistic. I think the, the more realistic scenario is either William Jackson III playing like it's 2017 all over again or John Ross, Ross staying healthy for the first time in his career and producing. Of the two, I'm going to go with number 11. I'm going to go with John Ross and the most predictable thing ever. I, just, I, I, would, I would love for him to have success given how he entered the league, given all of the injuries. Um, we'll, we'll see if it happens. And then William Jackson, the third, I'll, I'll do a ranking. He would be second for me. Billy Price would be third. What about you, Jake? It's William Jackson all the way, and there's not really consideration for the other two for me because I don't think there's any way the Bengals retain John Ross. So if he breaks out, maybe they get a third-round pick out of it, which would be great. Uh, but it's not as good as having an all-star cornerback. So if if William Jackson the third goes off and is an all-star cornerback, then that's way more important to the Bengals' future than would be an all-star interior offensive lineman who the Bengals probably wouldn't retain anyway. Look at their history of paying interior offensive linemen or a wide receiver who's all but out the door at this point in John Ross. I would like to see all these guys go off because I root for the players. But if I'm choosing one of these and I can only pick one, I'm picking it from the Bengals' perspective, from a team-building perspective, and then it's easily William Jackson. All right, let me let me continue this, and let's play the hypothetical game. July 15th comes and goes. A.J. Green does not sign an extension with the Bengals. Does that change your mind at all? No. Knowing that they would have some room. It doesn't at all. No, because, because there's been... If there's that been, happens, there's a path for Ross return. There is, but there's been one player 
that I can think of, and this is only because Joe said it on Twitter when I asked the question in, in some conversation we were having today. He said that Kyle Fuller is about it for players who had their fourth year option, fifth year option declined and, and stayed with the team. There's a special case for Devontae Parker you could talk about too. The Dolphins originally picked up his fifth year option, ended up renegotiating a two year deal instead of him playing on that fifth year option. So there's still a world, I guess, where John Ross could return, but it's so unlikely that it just it's not going to change my priority at all, especially when you have a high investment in a draft pick in T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd in the slot. I, I yeah, I would love to see John Ross stick around. It's just really hard to see the path that in that direction right now. I think the only way it happens is obviously he has to go off and play well, Jake. But but then the other thing, it's AJ Green, right? And if if they don't get a long term deal worked out before July fifteenth, I think the door then opens up a, a decent amount if Ross plays well. But I am with you on the surface. You look at it. And corner is a, a position if William Jackson the third leaves. You look at Mackenzie Alexander, he's on a one-year deal. It instantly becomes a huge weakness after spending all this money on defense. So, so I get it. Um, but we, we, uh, we know what, how I feel about Ross, and I think it would be exciting to see him do well. Absolutely would be exciting to see him do well. Our next question comes from the Burrowers at Bunny91 on Twitter. Would you like to find? Would you like the Bengals to try and entice Clint Bowling out of retirement, James? Sure, if he wants to play and he can pass a physical and he thinks he's healthy and he thinks he can still play at a high level, there's a lot of ifs there. You know, I just I think that it's when a player retires at that stage of his career, there's a reason behind it. It's well thought out, and we haven't heard one peep about him thinking about coming back or anything like that. So. Would I want the Bengals to reach out and randomly say, hey, we need you back? No. I would want Clint Bowling to show that he wants to play again, start training and things like that. And at least from what I know, that isn't the case. So long story short, no, I don't think that they should try to entice him with a bigger payday or anything like that to try to get him to come back. If he wants to come back, then you're certainly open to it. But you're not going to try to dangle a carrot out in front of him and say, hey, Clint, come on, because I just don't think that's the way to do it. Yeah, he retired with medical concerns. He has, you know, an, an arterial condition or, or a heart condition that was potentially life-threatening if he continued to play football. So, no, I, I mean, that doesn't go away usually. And uh, regardless of that, I think that at this point, you're talking about a guy that's been out of the game, and I know the Bengals are, aren't shy about it, but uh, I'm just wishing Clint well in his retirement with his family. I, I've had some good conversations with his wife. I don't know what it is about offensive linemen wives, but I've, I've connected with them and, and <laughs> talked to them about football quite a bit, and his wife is one of them, Kelly Bowling, really good human being. They have, a, I think, two kids now. I can't remember if they – I think they had a second kid. Anyway, I, I just hope that he and his family are healthy and, and enjoying – life after football we wish clint and his family the best let's keep things rolling with the mailbag bruce asks the bengals were two and 14 last year but they could have won two of three finley games if andy dalton had started also zero and six and one score games average luck would have had us three and three so 2019 roster could have been seven and nine if burrow healthy aj and improved defense are worth four wins that's 11-5 and five this year. Jake, tell Bruce why he's wrong. 
So you ha- it's a skill. Those are his words, by the way, not mine. Yeah, I see it. It's a skill to to win one score games, and some of those one score games for the Bengals were games where it was a two score game, and then the Bengals scored a touchdown or kicked a field goal at the end of regulation, and now it's a one score game. So it looks a little bit better than it necessarily was. Uh, I also think that saying that they would have won two out of three Finley games if Andy Dalton had started, maybe. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement, uh, and probably, but but not necessarily. So getting to seven and nine in the first place is a very glass-half-full picture. You're saying that the Bengals definitely would have won two more games with Andy Dalton instead of Ryan Finley, and they definitely would have won three of those one-score games because that's luck. It's it's largely luck, and you do see season-to-season regression, but it is also a skill. The Seattle Seahawks consistently win one-score games because Russell Wilson is really good, and they finally let him start throwing the ball in the fourth quarter, for example. So the other part of this is if Burrow, healthy AJ, and improved defense are worth four wins, that's 11-5 and five this year, I, I think four wins might be a lot for those things. Maybe that's right, but even if that is right, then... I think instead of starting at seven and nine, you have to start from two and 14, or maybe you say, maybe they should have won one or two more games, four and 12. Well, then you get to eight and eight. And that's where I am. That's where I am this year. I'm on five to nine wins as, as the range of likely outcomes for the Bengals. I would be shocked if they won 11 games, I would be completely shocked. Yeah. And here's the other thing. The, the, the Ravens are just as good, if not better, on paper better. It's going to be hard to be better than they were last year, but at least on paper they are um, from a talent standpoint in my mind. The Steelers, they get Ben back regardless of what shape he's in or whether he has a beard or not. He's an upgrade from Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And then the Browns have uh, at least appear to have an organized head coach and one of the best rosters in the league. So it's going to be tough. The division's tough. The Bengals are much better. They're improved. They're exciting. They're going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to be in games. But this idea that you can say, well, if this and if that and if this and if that, well, there's going to be injuries this year. And they're going to lose one-score games this year. And Joe Burrow's going to throw interceptions in the fourth quarter. Like a lot of those ifs might not go the Bengals' way because they're a young team. They're new. You know, there's going to be a learning phase to this. So I don't see 11-5. and I think Nine wins is probably their ceiling, like you said. Maybe ten if everything goes right and their stars stay healthy. But there's no way I, I see eleven, and I think the the five to seven range is kind of the sweet spot for the Bengals this season. Yeah, I think that that's very reasonable. We'll get back into our questions. Have about four or five more to get to. We'll see how much time we have coming up next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. James, let's dive back into the mailbag. You know what I missed today, James? Joe sometimes would just start singing the Blues Clues song because he has kids and neither of us are in that situation where we're going to start singing the Blues Clues. You know what? I actually don't miss it. I'm okay without the Blues Clues song on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Our next question, though, comes from... Yeah, me too. <laughs> next question is from Tej Butler. 
TJ Butler three on Twitter. Will the Bengals use the rest of their cap to add more talent and or another veteran to the roster? James, you love to talk about free agents, so have at it. Larry Warford. That's who it should be, right? I, I don't think it's likely. We've talked about it plenty on the podcast. It makes sense. They can make it work financially. After the, the seven draft picks, they have around $16.5 million in cap. Yeah, AJ Green or an AJ Green extension wouldn't change his cap money or, or difference from what it is already. It's nearly $18 million at the franchise tag. You look at Joe Mixon, yeah, signing him to an extension would change the cap a bit, but you still have money for Larry Warford. So that's the guy that I think you go after. That being said, there are some questions there that we've discussed. And I think the most likely scenario is the Bengals, we know they like their offensive line. And outside of that, there aren't many holes. There aren't many areas that they got to see these young guys at linebackers. It's not like they're going to go after any more linebackers. They like their secondary. They like their skill players. So I I think this is uh, pretty much it. They're set at quarterback, according to Zach Taylor. So, no, I don't see them using that cap space on any outside free agents. But uh, I do think that they're going to save it and, and try to extend Joe Mixon and AJ Green this offseason. We can we'll, we'll see if they get those those deals done. Yeah, and AJ Green's cap number this year probably doesn't change. Joe Mixon's cap number this year, if they do do an extension, almost certainly changes because they will prorate some signing bonus money into the current league year. I wouldn't be surprised if they like make a camp pickup or something, make a, a camp body pickup or or a waiver claim is what I mean. So. Sure. Do I see them going out and signing a veteran? It won't be somebody that's going to be like a instant starter unless somebody gets hurt, in which case maybe they go out and, and are forced to be a little bit more active to replace a guy. But no, I, I don't really see it. Larry Warford. All right, let's uh, let's keep things moving here. <laughs> uh, Greg, Greg Luther, a guy on Twitter, Greg, he says, uh, who in your opinion was the biggest steal in the Bengals draft? He says you could make an argument for each and every player. So who do you say it is, Jake? Hmm. Could you make an argument for each and every player? <laughs> um, Joe Burrow went where he was supposed to go, so obviously it's not him, although I would like to say that it's him because he was their best pick. Obviously not the biggest deal. He was always going number one. T. Higgins, I think, was drafted appropriately in the second round. It might be Logan Wilson in the third round. I think that he was a mid-second kind of guy that they got a little bit of value on. It might be Akeem Davis-Gaither, but I think his injury led him to be fairly drafted at the top of the fourth. I think he was a late third, early fourth guy because he could not get healthy, because they couldn't do medical rechecks. So he might be a steal, but... Uh, probably not. Khaled Kareem, I don't think there's an argument for him. Hakeem Adeniji, I don't think there's really an argument for him. And Marcus Bailey. Uh, man, I'm really tempted to say Marcus Bailey because his tape is excellent. Uh, you know, he looks like a second round player, but two ACL injuries. So seventh round, I, I mean, that's clearly fair. If you have second round tape and nobody's picked you in the sixth round, that means it's probably fair. So Having gone through all of them, James, I think for me it is Logan Wilson, who I think the Bengals got good value on. That's fair, and, and I, I want to say this. I don't think you can make the argument for every player. I, I don't no. really – T. Higgins, did he fall a little bit? Sure, but if he Maybe. falls five spots – yeah, if he falls five spots, that, that doesn't feel like a steal. Joe Burrow went first overall, so you can't make the argument there. I'm going to do what you didn't. I'm going to go with TikTok star Marcus Bailey. 
If you haven't seen him on TikTok, by the way, hilarious. Uh, I, I think that he was a steal there. Now, who knows if he has success in the NFL? Here's what I do know. Outside of two ACLs, like you said, second, third rounder. So the fact that they got him as late as they did, we might not realize it in 2020, but a year or two from now, would it shock you at all? Marcus Bailey's contributing. It wouldn't because he has that type of talent. So we'll see if he can stay healthy. But from a, a talent perspective and where they got him, it's just an ACL, right? It's not like it's uh, Achilles or multiple, you know, it's ACL is bad, but it, it, I, I think he can potentially recover from it and you're getting tremendous value in the seventh round. So I'll go with it's, Bailey. It's both ACLs is the thing. It's, it's both sure. ACLs and another one late in his career. So, yeah, I mean, I totally get the argument for it. It's hard to say that it's a steal for, for me, but I, I do understand where you're coming from there. Like, I, I wouldn't argue with you that much about it. I just think that Logan Wilson is a guy that he, he's not a household name. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree with your points about, about if Marcus Bailey hits and he's healthy, he can certainly be a contributor. And that's great for a seventh rounder. That's very important. We know the Bengals answer. It would be Akeem Adeniji, the, the biggest steal of the draft. Apparently, from from what we we've heard about Akeem Adeniji, right? I mean, hell, they were they might have been considering him at thirty three if T Higgins wasn't there. You can't see how much I'm rolling my eyes and how hard I face palm when James said that, but you can hear it in my voice right now. I, I'm I'm certain of that. Next question, because I can't <laughs> think about that any longer, is from Team awesome Alex Murphy. Who are some guys you think could be cap? casualties and James I'm assuming this is about the Bengals because if you expect me to name cap casualties for 32 NFL teams uh, I'm not your guy I'm not either so yeah I'll I'll apply it to the Bengals there's a couple I think that Sean Williams is a guy at four million dollars I think it could make some sense to move on from him especially if you were to be aggressive and go get another veteran in free agency to address one of your holes Larry Warford um, but but if they don't do that, I think they feel pretty good about where they are. Like, I don't foresee a, a ton of different cap casualties. Uh, if you add to the offensive line, then maybe an Alex Redmond. But I just I don't see that right now. They like Redmond. They like his body and, and how big he is and how physical he is. So we'll see. So I, I don't foresee them moving on from, a, a, you know, multiple guys or anything like that. And if I had to name one, I'd say Sean Williams. With that said, he's still on the roster right now. So I think he's got a pretty good shot to make the team. Sean Williams is like a top 15 paid player on the Bengals. So here are some names that could be surprising cap cuts that I don't necessarily expect, but there is a possibility for because the Bengals would save money and there's competition at these positions. So I don't think they're cutting Bobby Hart. But if Fred Johnson impresses enough, the Bengals save nearly $4 million by cutting Bobby Hart. There's a chance that Bobby Hart is a cap cut if he loses a competition at right tackle. Now, again, I think it's unlikely because I think Bobby Hart is actually a good backup. I just think he's paid a little bit too much. You talked about Alex Redmond, and I think we will see some of these guys in the $1 to $2 million range be cuts. I don't know if they're cap cuts at that point because they're fighting for a roster spot. I mean, you look at a guy like LaShawn Sims, who the Bengals signed. They can save $1.5 million if they decide he's not good enough to make the team. I don't know if that qualifies as a cap cut. I think you have to be making a little bit more. So the lowest you can really go there is Alex Redmond's $2.1 million. He's an he's a restricted free agent. Sorry, he signed a restricted free agent tender. And if he loses his job, 
then there's a chance that they don't keep him because there's there there might be enough depth there with the additions of Xavier Suafilo with their feelings about Michael Jordan if Billy Price is a backup and Billy Price is is cost prohibitive to cut they would actually lose money if they cut him so he is certainly on the roster this year but yeah looking at it James I don't I don't see a ton of good cap cap cut candidates there aren't many there aren't many and I, I just I don't foresee I, I think. If the Bengals planned on moving on, maybe they do end up moving on from some of these guys. But if that was their plan now, I think they would have already done it, right? We've seen some of these veterans go already from Dre Kirkpatrick to Andy Dalton and others. All right, let's keep things rolling with uh, Jonah Wheeler. Jake, he asked, do you think Ken Anderson is more deserving to be in the Hall of Fame over some guys that are already in? Yeah, Dan Feltz who <laughs> had pretty much the, the same career as Ken Anderson, uh, he, he maybe he, he threw 400 more passes. He ran for 1,500 less yards. He, he, was a, he was a much worse rusher. He threw more interceptions, uh, threw touchdowns at essentially the same rate, lost to Ken Anderson in the playoffs, never went to the Super Bowl. Honestly, if Dan Fouts is in the Hall of Fame, it's, it's just mind-blowing for me that Ken Anderson is not. And they both played in the same offense under the same coaches, it's just I, I just I just don't understand that one. That one actually like bothers me, and I don't really care about the Hall of Fame stuff all that much. But after talking to Ken Anderson, doing the research for that show earlier this week, and if you missed it, go listen because we talked to Ken Anderson earlier this week, and he is a fantastic interview. I just I, I just don't see the offense or the the argument for Fouts instead of Ken Anderson. There's no other players in the history of the NFL. No other quarterbacks in the history of the NFL by multiple people that have looked into this that approach Ken Anderson's stats. The only other one might be, and I'm looking at a Football Outsiders article here, Ken Stabler, who was playing at the same time as Ken Anderson. He won a Super Bowl, so that's the biggest difference for them. He's been a finalist three times, and Ken Anderson's only been a finalist twice. So it's really the the lack of Super Bowl victory that's holding Anderson out, but I, I think that's insane. If Dan Fouts is in. I agree. I think that Ken, obviously I think Ken Anderson should be in the hall of fame. Uh, I think Ken Riley should be in the hall of fame. Heck the Bengals tweeted on Thursday, Ken squared in a picture of both of them. I thought that was a, a cool touch that they did. It's, it's maddening. And it's part of what we talked about with Ken is the perception of the Bengals and the way the, the country really looks at the organization. And that's why some of these great players haven't made it into the Hall of Fame, even though they're deserving, even though they have the the numbers and the qualifications, the Super Bowl appearance, that matters. At least it should matter to me, you know, and it should matter to voters. Just because you lost to an all-time great in Joe Montana, that's the reason he's not in the Hall of Fame. It's not like it was a blowout either. Like that, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm with you there, completely agree. And I think we all agree that Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. That is an easy one. Our last question today, and a few people asked about this. The Bengal Mandalorian, the Bengalorian also asked about whether Zach Taylor's on the hot seat, but David Weisenhahn asks, what does Zach Taylor have to do or not do to not be the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals in 2021? He's got to really mess it up, Jake. I mean, yeah. our guy Zach has to really mess it up. I mean, you, you would, if he's not the coach next year, that means Shocking. things went went it, it, it went straight to hell right yeah. away. 
and then it went farther down and even closer to the devil. Um, you, you really, I, I think the the only path for that, because this is by all accounts for the most part, I think his first year in the Bengals eyes, because now they've given him talent. They've given him a, a quarterback. They've given him sufficient pieces to, to work with and build with and start to build that foundation and culture that they want. If in December or January, we're, we're asking early January, if Zach Taylor is, we're questioning if he's the best guy for the job to get the most out of Joe Burrow. I think that's how his seat gets hot. I don't really see, unless they go like one in 15 and Burrow's awful and it just collapses. I don't see how he's not the head coach unless he goes to college and becomes a head coach in, in college or something. You know, I just, I don't foresee that being the case because of performance, the Bengals moving on from him. Could it happen? Sure, anything can happen. It's the NFL. But I think there's a, a, a an extremely small chance that, it, at worst case, it's that his seat is hot, not that he doesn't have a job next season. Yeah, I think that they want to give him another year for sure. And, and yeah, maybe his seat is hot at the end of the year. Like if Joe Burrow comes out and says, I don't get along with Zach Taylor, that, then you have a disaster on your hands that could see something crazy happen, right? Because... I mean, that's just unfathomable. Zach Taylor connects so well with people. He's so personable. All the players say glowing things about him, including players that have left. So it's just it's just really hard for me to imagine. I think that Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor have a lot of the same visions for this team. And with all of the, the cohesion that we've heard about and Mike Brown's propensity to give coaches a little bit too much leash, at least in the last 20 years or last, uh, fi- uh yeah, 20 years. Shit. Uh, Zach Taylor's probably going to be okay for 2021. That's going to do it for this episode of the lockdown Bengals podcast. We will be back next week. It will be June. You can go down to the Bengals pro shop in June until then Bengals fans who day and have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.